um, chew on what we're going to talk about today. It's very important you understand the little things that we're going to observe. Last week, if you were with us, we talked about kind of how to read the Bible, and you guys went through it and made observations of your own. I'm turning this beast up a little bit. Boom. Um, so what we're going to talk about today has been taken to so many different extremes. It's about our faith and God's response, all right? What we're talking about is a miraculous faith or faith that, that sees miracles and sees miraculous things happen at the command of God. And this chapter and, and similar stories to it have caused so much confusion. They take people in so many different um, directions when it comes to faith that if we're not careful, we'll probably read into it more than is there, or we won't read enough of what is there. So we're going to look at what is in the Bible and stick with what is in this chapter of the Bible, all right? Um, you guys good? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, and ask that you would just take our thoughts, Lord, and you would arrange them in a way that would glorify you, God, that would lead us to truth right now, that our imaginations and our just our, our free will, Lord, we would freely give it to you. Lord, open up our hearts to receive this thing, and uh, God, pray that it would become very clear what great faith looks like. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. amen. All right, well, if you guys are note takers, did I give you guys PowerPoint back there? I should have. Talk about meeting Jesus, chapter 8. I struggled for like hours to figure out what in the world to title this topic and this chapter. And what we're talking about today is a miraculous faith. If mirac miraculous is too big of a word for you, uh, you can put down amazing, you can put down awesome, you can put down unique, whatever. It is about a faith that is beyond normal, all right? A faith that is beyond normal, that it even blows Jesus away. Um, have you guys ever been to Africa? There's always like one or two, right? Uh, but right, Lou was born there, so he's never been there. He's just from there. Like, so that's cool. I was not born in Africa. I wish I was born in Africa, but I'm not. I was born in Whittier, California. Woohoo! No way! All right, we'll go Whittier. So here's the deal. In Africa, there's something called the Africa Impala, right? Not the car that Chevy makes. The Africa Impala, uh, maybe I didn't give Did I give it to you guys? No? Well, here's the deal. Oh, did we give them note paper and stuff? All right, you're good to go. We're just going to talk, and you guys can write stuff down. Try to help you out a little bit. But here's the deal. The Africa Impala looks like a gazelle. It's got big old long horns. Right, Mr. Voss? Yeah. Right? Turn. Yeah. The one that wasn't paying attention. The Africa Impala looks like a gazelle. It's got the big old long horns. It's crazy. They can jump to heights of 10 feet in the air, that's about where the lights are, just a hair below that, and at distances of over 30 feet. This is an amazing animal that can just take off and leap over just about anything. But the crazy thing is you can go to any zoo and see them, and their retaining wall is not this 30-foot tall wall. They're not an enclosure with a ceiling. It's a three-foot little barrier that keeps them from escaping. Like, well, how in the world does that work? That doesn't make any sense. Because this African impala, though it has great ability, the moment you take away its ability to know where it's going to land, it will no longer jump. As soon as it doesn't know where it's going to end up, he just sits still and doesn't do anything. 
and there's a lot of us who have been given this incredible faith, this relationship with God. He says that what I've done, you can do, and that your faith in me will produce miraculous results. I will honor it. I will uh, be with you. I will come upon you. And so these great things that we're called to do is the body of Christ. But then the enemy sets up these little tiny doubts in our lives and we stay grounded. We don't do anything. Our prayers at best are weak or selfish. Jesus meets a man, a centurion Roman guard who has a faith that is beyond normal. It puts Israel to shame. In fact, this Gentile, non-Jewish, Roman soldier has greater faith than even the disciples did. It is amazing to where it stuns Jesus. Take a look, Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse five. We're gonna read through it and talk about it. It says, now when Jesus had entered into Capernaum, this huge city, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. What this is describing, you guys ever people who have, uh, it's not cerebral palsy, but where their hands are like shriveling up and they're, they're just completely stuck in a certain way? You guys ever see people in a wheelchair like that maybe? This is exactly, it's a description of this thing where your body is locked up, you're paralyzed, it's excruciating pain and torment, similar to being tortured as if you were having like bamboo shoved under your fingernails uh, or they were cutting you up, like incredibly painful torment, unable to move, your body's not cooperating with the rest of you, probably one of the most horrible situations you could ever be in. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, he's pleading with him. That's a very important word. He's pleading with him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented, locked up from pain. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Verse eight is where things get super awesome. The centurion, he answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. He's in the military, he says, look, I answer to someone above me and my men, they do what I tell them to do. He describes it under me and I say to this one, go, and then he goes. And I say to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this man speak, when he heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, the disciples, the people that had gathered around and seen this extravagant conversation going on, they're in the streets, it's a public setting out in front of his home. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, they will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that very same What we see is a faith that is not seen anywhere else in the Bible. Jesus, we'll talk about the second place. He only sees someone's faith and is blown away or shocked or amazed. He only, the word given to us, he only marvels twice in the entire four gospels. Jesus is only found marveling twice. This is one of them. And it wasn't at a show of loyalty. It wasn't at a great uh, service. It wasn't at the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus wasn't shocked at that. Jesus wasn't shocked that Peter walked on water. Jesus wasn't shocked by any of this stuff. What caused him to be like, oh my gosh, did you see that? Was someone's faith. It's amazing. 
And so we talk about a couple things when it comes to a faith that is beyond normal. A marvelous faith is selfless, all right? A marvelous faith is selfless. If you think about the centurion Roman guard, you've got some prestige going on. You've accomplished quite a bit of stuff. You guys ever see military people with all the awards and they're just pressed and dressed and they look like they conquered the world on their own, man. They got uh, skills and stories and awards and they got the medal of honor and they got purple hearts and they are just decked out, This man was a man known in his city. He had authority. People answered to him and did what he said. And a servant in this day and age was as good as property. You owned him. He was a slave. And yet, nowhere else in Scripture do we see this. This man of power, of prestige, of of, of actual popularity. People loved him. He runs out into the street to meet Jesus. And he says, Jesus, help my servant. He's hurting and he is in pain. No one cared. It's as if if your hammer broke, you go buy a new one, right? If your horse died, you just get rid of it and get a new one to pull the plow. If your servant is ill, you just let him go and go buy a new servant. But that's exactly the mindset back then. But this man's not normal because his faith in God is not normal. See, an abnormal faith in God will cause us to do abnormal things. If we are sitting lukewarm like everybody else in the world and no one can tell we're Christians, we do not have a miraculous faith. We have a very simple and lukewarm faith. But our faith in God causes us to do miraculous things. But it is a selfless thing. He goes out, he calls out. In public, people are looking. His friends had gone to find Jesus for him and brought him back. He runs out of his house and says, Jesus, my servant, is tormented. He's in all this insane amount of pain. The reality is everything we have is God's, everything. And this man knew it. When we are selfless and when we see God, we see that everything belongs to him, that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's James chapter one, verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning, that God is perfectly good all the time. He doesn't change. He is consistent and he is faithful but everything is his. This man knew it. To have your servant in your home, that's not normal. And he comes out and says, my servant's in my home. To have a master pleading for his slave, that's not normal, but that's happening and it's happening in public. He's not ashamed of it because he is fully selfless. Because why? That servant, if we see our stuff as our stuff, we won't really care about it very much. But if we see our stuff as God's stuff, if we see our friend's as God's friends, our parents, as God's parents, our brother and sister, as God's child, we'll have a completely different perspective. That wasn't his slave. That was God's creation. That was God's son, God's daughter. And so being humbled, being selfless, he runs out and says, look, everything I have is yours. My servant, he's in my house. I'm out here in front of people pleading A miraculous faith is selfless because it knows everything belongs to God and it asks help for someone else. A miraculous faith will intercede for other people. Now, no doubt, how many of you guys, and I will include myself in this all the time, if something goes wrong, your first reaction should be to pray to the Lord. Even if it's like, oh, Lord, help me. Maybe it's not an awesome prayer, one to write down and pass on to generations. But how many of you guys, when something goes wrong or something surprises you, you at least look to God and like, Lord, you got to help me a little bit. Anybody? Sweet. If not, make that habit. Jesus first, Jesus in the middle, Jesus in the end. It's all about Jesus, all right? Turn to the Lord. But though we are good at doing that for ourselves, how often are our prayers selfless? 
not too often. We find this man pleading. It means to call out to someone, to earnestly call to your side, as if you're going to get smashed by a bolt, and you're like, help! Right, to have someone come alongside and help lift the burden and to push it off of you. It is exactly what this means. This man, he had tried to do what he could do. It was failing. And so he calls out to Jesus. This pleading isn't like, Lord, I just pray that you'd get me a new servant, one that's stronger and younger that could do better because he's going to die. It's not about him. It's not about, Lord, I just pray you'd heal him, make him feel good. It's, Lord, I don't know what to do. This is beyond my ability. And he's pleading, I got a problem. I don't even know what to ask you. I'm just asking for help. Notice so far in these couple of verses, he has not asked anything other than help. Help. He didn't define what he was asking. He didn't uh, describe what he was asking. He just cried out, help. He was pleading with the Lord. Amazing faith will make amazing requests. Miraculous things come about because of miraculous prayers. When we are desperate, we're to pray desperately. Begin to pray for people in a way in which you are pleading, you're interceding, because it is their life on the line, not ours. I had a friend in high school. Guys, any of you guys hate asking for help? I hate asking for help. I've learned. I've gotten good. I've learned I should, and so I do. I still hate it, though. Like, I don't want to do this. Can you help me? Oh, like, <laughs> I hate asking for help. Uh, I remember growing up, we went to the beach all the time, and uh, we were out swimming in the ocean, and the waves are kind of big, and I was used to it. We used to go to the ocean all the time to the beach. My friend John had come. I, I, I thought he was in good shape. I thought he was a good swimmer. And the one thing you never do, you never ask the lifeguard to help you from drowning, right? That means you're just like a little sissy who can't swim in the ocean, and everyone's going to point and laugh at you. So if you're in the ocean, I'd rather drown than be saved by a lifeguard. That was my attitude. That is the most uncool thing ever. And we're out there in the ocean, and we're swimming around, and all of a sudden you see a lifeguard do his little thing. He jumps off the tower, and he runs down in his red trunks and puts on his buoy floating device, and he swims out. And I'm like, no, we're good, man, we're good. And he swims past me, and I'm like, what the heck? And my friend John's out there. He's not saying like, no, I'm going to be like, help! He's not a good swimmer, apparently, and was very close to dying. What's the point? We've got to get past our pride. We have got to get past our pride, because it's when we ask for help, we get it. When we ask for help, we get it. When we call out to the Lord, he will listen. He promises. The outcome is God's. He's the king. But the request is ours to be made. To call out for help. Don't, no, no, we'll figure it out. I'm sure it'll just be fine. To begin to plead with God, to be selfless. Get over yourself and start interceding for people, pleading for those who are dying without Jesus. You cannot care how it looks to follow the Lord. Like I cared that day at the beach, we're gonna look so dumb. Get over it. This man of power and of prestige of the Roman military, he was over it. He didn't care how goofy it looked to call out to Jesus in public. He didn't look how, care how goofy it looked to say, hey, I'm a man of war, of power, uh, of authority, of prestige, but to be honest, I can't do anything. I can't fix this. Jesus, I need your help. Do it. We've got to set aside our selfishness and have a miraculous faith that is empty of ourselves. To be selfless, it literally means to be emptied of yourself. 
a selfless faith, a miraculous faith, is the same in public as it is in private. It'll be the same. It is exactly the same. Amazing faith, it will not change. People, circumstances, and settings. If our faith is grounded in Jesus and is based on the word, it doesn't matter who's looking. It doesn't matter on the circumstance, the setting, at all. It doesn't change. It's the same publicly as it is privately. So this man is pleading for his servant, but nothing for himself. This is crazy. At least you could think, like, right, oh, if I get him to come into my house and heal my servant, I could tell people Jesus came into my home. That'd be cool. I mean, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? I'd get a plaque, right? Jesus was here, you know, whatever it would be, 27 AD or whatever. Like, this would be sick. Jesus, Jesus walked here. Don't touch my rug. Like, this is where my servant was laying. Let's put glass around it so no one can mess it up. That, nothing for him. Nothing for him. His request was purely selfless and entirely humble. Miraculous faith is a humble faith. It bows down. When's the last time you yielded to someone else's authority? We don't like it. We hate it. We kick against it. We are to yield to God's authority all the time. His power, we know. His authority, we know. We see where this man's faith is put, and it's not in his position. It is in the position that Christ holds. He's not holding to his power, his strength, or his rank. He's holding to the power and the authority and the ranking of Christ, and he is bowed down. Romans 10.9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth, you guys know this verse? Jesus is what? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Good job. And, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. What is this Lord thing all about? It means you bow to Jesus. You yield to his will. What does he say? When he finds out, Jesus says, I'll heal him. Centurion in verse eight answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. This statement seems simple, right, in the beginning, but it is a miraculous statement. It's a miraculous faith. Of course it's a miraculous statement. Not to be worthy, it means I am unfit, I'm insufficient. I don't deserve anything you have for me. I'm just asking for my servant. It is humbled. If you think about the people that Jesus hung out with, didn't he sit down and eat with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, embezzlers? I mean, wicked people. There are people that would beg Jesus, Jesus, come to my house. I want to make you dinner. Come over, hang out with me. And these are people who are nothing in the world. A man who is something says, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my home. True humility understands our position, that we are sinners and at best saved by grace. We don't deserve any of it. He didn't wave up his flag, Lord, I, I got this one for fighting against uh, right, the Philistines. I got this one for building the synagogue. I got this award, and look at my purple heart. I got wounded in battle, but I don't care because I still have the bullet right here. Ah! Like, it, it was, so because I'm so awesome, heal my servant. If you ever think you can tell God what to do, you better repent very quickly. If you think that somehow you can pray and make God dance or make God sing or make God act, you're out of your mind. 
He is the king. He is sovereign. He is creator. He judges all living and dead. Read Revelation chapter 20. It tells us that the living and the dead, the earth will flee from his presence. That when God shows up in the end, literally everything melts away and runs from him. And the living and the dead, they stand before the Lord, some into eternity, others into everlasting death. Don't ever forget he is king. And that is exactly where this man placed his trust, in the authority of Jesus and in the power of Christ. Or to bow. Jesus ate with the sinners. People begged him to come, but this man saw the vast difference between himself, a sinner, and the perfect Savior. Don't ever let that become clouded. If you ever begin to think that you're a lot like Jesus, you're really becoming a lot like Satan. That was the error of his ways. We are sinners at best saved by grace. A humble faith, a miraculous faith will be humble. Our knees will bow, but it says our tongues will confess that Jesus is Lord. We're to bow our lives, but we're also to confess with our tongues. The word Lord is kind of cool. It's, uh, I can't pronounce Greek. I looked it up. It's kurios or whatever. Try it out. Say kurios. It's like curious, but roll your R and make the O. Kurios. He calls out, he, said, he refers to Jesus twice as Lord. What does this mean? This doesn't mean police officer. It doesn't just mean uh, you're a little bit above me. The word means you are the owner, the supreme master, and the decision maker. This is a cool word. And when he says, Lord, I am unworthy to have you come into my home, he is saying you are the owner of everything, you are the supreme master over all creation, and you are the decision maker. I give this whole thing to you. You're it. It is humble in action. He bows down. He says, I'm not even worthy to come into my home. He, a soldier of power, says, I am under your authority. You make the call. You make the move. He, I'm just asking for help. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. I'm just simply asking for help. True humility is not power versus weakness. We think that being humble is a sign of weakness. At least we're taught that so much in our lives that if we yield to someone, they won and we lost. That's not true. If you think that giving else someone the right to make a decision, or you think that giving someone else the opportunity to lead is them winning and you losing, you completely misunderstand humility. Humility is not that at all. It's not power versus weakness. It is authority and understanding. What is wrong with saying, Jesus, you're the decision maker. You are the authority. You are life. It is self. And I will yield to you. It's an awesome statement. First of all, it means you believe that Jesus Christ has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. And it means that you put yourself under that authority. True humility is not power versus weakness is understanding authority. Daniel chapter 10 verse 12 is cool. Daniel's crying. He's praying out to the Lord. And if you guys know the story, Satan gets involved in this man's prayers and angels dispatched to come and answer Daniel, but Satan blocks him. There's a massive angelic war in Daniel chapter 10. And then he said to me, the angel says, do not fear, Daniel, for from the very first day, the very first day that you set your heart to understand, the moment you said, Lord, I want to know you. Didn't mean you arrived. The very first day, 
your heart was set to understand, and you humbled yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your prayers. This is awesome. The moment we say, Lord, I want to know you, and we begin to call out to him, and it's humility that is found in the presence of God, it says that your words will be heard in heaven, and that God will respond. He will answer those requests. Question today, who outranks who? Does the Lord outrank us? Does he get to call the shots? Does he get to call the shots? Some of us will be like, yep, it's hard, isn't it? I'll tell you right now, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard. Because the Lord will tell you to do things you don't want to do. He'll ask you to forgive people you don't want to forgive. He'll ask you to love people you don't want to love. He'll ask you to step out in faith and do something you know you can't do. And so if God doesn't show up, you'll fail. But if God does show up, you will see marvelous things, miraculous things. It's not easy but it is worth it. A miraculous faith is confident. Just speak a word, he says. Just speak a word and he will be healed. It's kind of cool if you want to make a note. It's the very same word used in John chapter one describing Jesus, the word logos or logos. That the very word, the power of God, if you would speak it, if you would be who you are and speak forth your power, my servant will be set free from this torment and this pain. Confidence came before the answer though. Is the man healed yet? No. Is the request been made? Yes. But confidence came before the miracle. Our faith precedes the works of God. It's the way it ought to be. If we just believe because we see, then you're not really believing. You just see facts and you come to a conclusion. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. That we're to believe in advance. Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's neat where this chapter falls into the Gospels. Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus taught in a way that no one had ever taught. At the very last thing that comes into this chapter, it says that people saw that Jesus taught with authority. The whole topic is the authority of Jesus. He taught differently, he spoke differently, he treated people differently, and he did things differently. Is confident absolutely confident in the Lord's authority. Think of some things in the Bible. When do we see God's command come to pass? The wind and the sea, right? They're on the storms, the wind is blowing, it's raging, the waves are going nuts, the boat's about to sink, and what happens? Jesus comes up. Do you guys ever picture the Bible in your mind for a moment? Jesus, they're, they're rolling a boat, or he's like picking his nails, or eating a grape or something. I don't know. He's, he's in the boat. It's dark. Things are going nuts. The sail's probably torn to pieces. Water's coming in. He's like, well, my feet are wet. That's kind of weird, huh? And they're like, Jesus, do something. And he's like, me? All right. Hey, you wind and you waves. They're like, oh, what's he doing? This is weird. We just want him to help rowing, right? We need to help, help throwing water out of, the, out of the boat. I mean, what's going on here? Jesus says, hey, wind, Mr. Wind, and waves. Yeah, cut it out. You guys ever have your parents yell at you and you're like, sorry. That is exactly what happened. He's like, waves, wind, cease. Knock it off. Everything stopped immediately, freakishly. Not to where there'd be a calm breeze, dead. No wind, no breeze, not a ripple in the water, just smooth as glass. What is that? 
It is the power and the authority of God. You see demons tremble at his presence, right? Jesus walks up. Remember the demoniac? They are freaking out. Potentially 2,000 demons shaking because of the presence of Jesus. And what does he do? He doesn't grab the man, right? Halloween's coming. We see all these stupid movies. He doesn't grab the guy and just, in the name of the Lord, Whoa! and start throwing water and shaking crosses and uh, all this silver bullet stuff. Like, he just says, yeah, get out. What, did he, what was the trick? What did he do? Did he wave his hand to the right or to the left? Was he one-footed or two-footed? Did he keep one eye open? How much holy water did he use? None! It's the authority of God. It's the power of Jesus over creation, over demons. Get out. And what do they do? They have to go. They have to go. Over life itself, there's a widow. Her son had died. The last person she had near and dear to her heart. You can read about it. Luke chapter 7. Jesus comes into the town. This funeral's going on. They're walking out of the city. They're carrying the body of the young man. And he walks up and he grabs the casket and he stops it. People are like, what in the world? He doesn't touch the man. He doesn't do anything except for a command. He says, young man, I tell you, rise up. Sits up. It says, it's funny. He sits up and starts talking that fast. Hey, whoa, what's going on around here? There's crazy angels and stuff. And oh my gosh, God is, Jesus. How are you? Whoa. Oh, mom, I'm back. Let me, I got stories for you. And she's like, oh my gosh. It's amazing. The power of God's command, nothing can withstand it. Nothing. That when he comes back in the last battle, it says that the words and the sword goes out of his mouth and wrecks every enemy he will ever have. It is amazing. He had absolute confidence, absolute confidence in the Lord's authority. And here's where I want to ask you guys to zone in real good and take a look at it. What was his faith in? People will say all the time, faith, faith, it's all about faith and believe and believe in faith and if you believe hard enough and have faith enough and all this stuff will happen, you can do it. Hold on. Okay, I'm, I'm with you. Pray believing. Have faith. My question is, in what? If you have faith in having faith, then you're not trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in your ability to have faith. If you believe in believing, you're not believing in the Lord. You're believing in yourself to believe enough to get God to do what you want him to do. This man didn't ask for healing. He asked for help. Jesus said, I'll go heal him. Lord, help. And then he goes on and he says, Lord, I believe in your authority and your power to command all of creation, every sickness, everything circumstance, that at just a word he would be healed. But he's asking. His confidence and his faith is in the power and the authority of God. If you read throughout the Gospels, and almost exclusively, there's a question asked of Jesus. Lord, if you are willing, heal me. Whether they're blind or deaf, whether they're paralyzed, whether they have leprosy, whatever it is, the question is asked. Lord, if you are willing, all the way to the end, if you are willing, heal me. 
Here's the interesting thing. What they had faith in was God's ability to heal. They never doubted God's ability. What was left in question was his will. Don't think that you have the final say in anything. Christ is king. He is the first and the last who was and is and is to come. The almighty, the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's it. We're to ask. We're to ask believing because we know he can and he may very well. But the question all throughout scripture never doubts God's ability. And this man had full assurance, not in what he knew was going to happen, but in what he knew could very well take place. Lord, if you're willing, just a word and it will all come to pass. Absolute confidence. Guys, how sure are you that the Lord has all authority? 100%. Zero percent? Like 100. That is sign language for 100 or 300%. I don't know. I'm telling you right now, our confidence in God's authority and power, how sure are you the sun's going to come up tomorrow? I am like, I would put my life on it. I would even put my kid's life on it. And I love them more than anything else on the face of the planet. Like, I know the sun's coming up tomorrow. I know it. What if it doesn't? It's going to. I know it. What if we believe Jesus like that? I know it. I know he can wreck demons. I know he can cast Satan into the lake of fire. I know he can set people free. I know he can heal impossible situations. That if our faith believed in God that much, not believing and believing and having faith in faith, but having faith and belief in God, that things will begin to happen. You leave the results to him. It's his ability we have the right to ask. The question is, why don't we ask more often? Maybe we don't believe that way. Miraculous faith is secure. Check this out. Before Jesus heals, he brings up a more important topic than healing. Jesus brings up a more important topic than healing someone in excruciating pain and torment. What could that possibly be? Salvation. Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and from west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, they will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does he bring it to? This man's faith is miraculous. It is amazing. He says, this is crazy. He pauses. The man's like, if you just say the word, he's like, hold on. Did you guys hear that? He believes more than all of Israel. He believes more than every Jew has ever lived. This is amazing. I've never seen faith like this. This is miraculous. I'm telling you, from east and west, people will come together and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Israelites, they even at some will be cast into the lake of fire or they'll be cast into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boil it down. What does he say? He's like, okay, this faith that is, that is faith like I've never seen before. It was amazing and miraculous. Imagine being told this. If you think, and this was the thinking of the, of the time, Jewish people have a special right and Jesus came for the Jews and the Jews only. Everyone else is going to die and go to hell. I believe it was the Pharisees that taught the only reason non-Jewish people were ever made is to become the fuel that causes hell to burn as hot as it does. 
What? You're like a twig that is thrown into the fire to keep the flames going. That's why God made you. Is anyone in here Jewish? I'm like one 32nd Jewish, I think. So you and I have hope. Everyone else, God made them to burn. They're like the furnace that keeps heaven warm. It's not nice, and it's not true, all right? But people clung to this, and they believe this. Israel is God's chosen people. There's a special calling, place, and role for them, both then, now, and definitely during the tribulation period. But he says, as far as east and west, they will come from every direction. It was a phrase saying, they'll come from all over the world. You read in Revelation, what's heaven like? Every tribe, nation, and tongue will be gathered together to praise the Lord. And he's being told, hey, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, basically your dad, your grandfather, and your great-grandfather, let's just call it that, yeah? These guys who you think should just burn in hell, they're going to hang out with dad, grandpa, and great-grandpa, and some of you, yeah, you're going to hell. What if I told you, your mom and dad, I'm going to hang out with in heaven, but you're going to hell? What? Right, it's not, salvation has nothing to do with nationality. Jesus says it's all over the world people will get saved. It has nothing to do with inheritance. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, well, my dad was a pastor. Man, I'll tell you what, I don't care who your dad was. I don't care what your mama says. It's all about Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? It's awesome. Scary, but awesome. Don't think you ever inherit heaven because you have awesome parents. Don't ever think you inherit heaven because of some nationality. I don't think you guys believe that, but back then this was huge stuff. There are two sides to eternity, the weeping and the gnashing of the teeth. That just, I mean, pain beyond pain. So much pain, the gnashing of your teeth that you bear down, you clench your jaw so tight from the extraordinary pain that they begin to break off in your own mouth. That's what hell is like. Who goes? The issue is faith in Jesus. It's always faith in Jesus. How hard? Yeah. It's twofold. You know the other one? Remember we talked about miraculous faith? Jesus only marvels over faith twice in the Gospels, right? In all four Gospels, only twice. Once is this man. The other one, he is blown away at the lack of faith. It's in Mark chapter 6, verse 6. One, he's blown away. I have never seen faith like this before. The only other time Jesus is blown away, it is at an extreme lack of faith. There's two sides to eternity. There's two sides to our trusting in Jesus. We will either trust him miraculously or quite possibly we will not trust him at all. But eternity is addressed before the healing. It's more important. Of course it's addressed before the healing. It's more important. The last thing, guys, I want to leave you with. Look at verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. What's the point? He asked. Miraculous faith sees miraculous things happen because it makes miraculous requests. Why don't I see people get healed? Start asking God. Do you ever ask God, Lord, heal them? No. Of course not. I cannot answer a question you do not ask, right? God cannot answer a prayer that has not been prayed. Start asking. Well, that's impossible. Sweet. God is a perfect master at doing the impossible. He told the wind and the waves to knock it off, and they did. He told the demons to take a hike, and they left. 
He told the dead man, hey, rise up, and he rose up. This man, Jesus says, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Guys, I'm telling you, that's the faith you're going to see walking around in heaven. That is amazing. As for you, guys, you've believed, you got it. Merry Christmas. And he went home, and a servant was healed. The Lord will never answer a prayer that isn't prayed. You want to see amazing things happen? Start making amazing requests. Not believing and believing. Not having faith in faith. Having faith in the authority and the power of Jesus that at his word every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. God, I thank you that regardless of our understanding, Lord, there's always more to learn, more to know. And Lord, we would be honest this morning, none of us believe enough to assume we have the same amount of faith now as we will when we're 40 and 50 and 60 years old is nuts. We're to grow. But you tell us that our faith grows. And it comes by the hearing of the word of God. So Lord, increase our faith that we might ask miraculous things. Lord, like this man, selfless, humble, and yet fully confident in who you were, not swayed by the public, not puffed up by his amount of pride. God, would we have a faith like that, Lord? Simple, selfless, humble, but confident in our Savior. Lord, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand up and worship?
throughout our lives, go before us today, that you would bless our week, and that we would just walk in your ways and press on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.